0: Welcome to the Hey Salespeople podcast, where we focus on delivering immediately actionable best practices for sales professionals. I'm your host, Jeremy Donovan from SalesLoft. Hey, salespeople. Today, we are thrilled to be joined by Katie Bowdler. Welcome, Katie. Hi there. I say we instead of I because I have my trusty co-host, Jenna Sachs, with us.
1: Hey, salespeople.
0: Today, we are going to talk to Katie about a lot of things. I will not pretend that it will be in one area, but it will cover things like the psychology of sales, you know, diversity hiring, and we're going to go in a lot of directions. We'll also talk about channel because Katie's title is Manager Microsoft Channel Sales Specialists. So we'll talk about what that means. Uh, before we get there, I'd love to get to know our guests. And Katie, we were looking at your LinkedIn profile and noticed that even right now above your, your LinkedIn job, position, you actually have put an organization that you're an advisor to, Fairstream. Can you tell us what Fairstream is?
2: Yeah, I would love to. So this actually goes in the topic of diversity hiring. So Fairstream is an organization that partners with different underrepresented community organizations. And so basically, they're brokering relationships with those organizations and companies. So giving companies access to those organizations all on one platform to do things like virtual career fairs and just extend their pool of talent outside of just traditional referral base, people you know, um, which tends to be quite homogenous. So very cool mission. Um, Luke Mock is the name of the CEO, and he actually was a former LinkedIn employee, um, amazing seller. And so he is running... Fairstream and I just started working to help support their go to market and and sales strategy.
0: Yeah, we've mentioned LinkedIn a, a number of times and I said your title is manager Microsoft channel sales specialist, so not everyone knows that LinkedIn is a Microsoft owned company. I should also say that you spent nearly a decade at Salesforce working your way up from the lowest levels all the way up to managing teams there and then obviously been managing successfully at LinkedIn for now almost 7 years. So uh, you got quite a, a lot of experience to bring. That title, I don't think I've ever seen a title like that before, Microsoft Channel Sales Specialists, or anyway, X Channel Sales Specialists. Uh, I've seen lots of channel sales stuff. So if if we were sitting at Thanksgiving dinner and, and Jenna and I asked you, what in the world do you do for a living? H- how would you describe that?
2: Yeah, it's a great question. And it is quite nuanced to your point because we are a Microsoft company and LinkedIn operates quite autonomously, which is really nice, but gets like the benefit of the amazing Microsoft, Microsoft culture and and resources. So I would say to put it simply, my team is a team of sales specialists, so super seasoned sellers who sit between the LinkedIn field sales team that sells Sales Navigator and the Microsoft field team that sells Microsoft Dynamics CRM. And we have an offer that bundles those two together to unlock more value for Microsoft Dynamics customers. And um, so my team is like the Microsoft to LinkedIn Translation Dictionary.
1: And I see you've only been in this role for a few months you know, out of this almost seven years at LinkedIn, uh, how has that transition been for you in terms of figuring out how channel works, especially in this new specialized type of role?
2: Yeah, it's been, so yeah, it's been a couple of months. And for me, it was like the perfect opportunity. I was at a point where I had, I've, I've done a ton of acquisition leadership. So new business focus, managing account executives in different segments at LinkedIn and this just seemed like a perfect opportunity to sort of broaden my base and skill set and learn about the channel and think about how Microsoft and LinkedIn sell together which is something that we're sort of like at the tip of the iceberg for this joint product but are you know there might be other opportunities and areas of the business so getting this experience seemed really useful and universal it's basically like a startup within a very established business line. So, for me, like my aspirations in the future would be to go to a pre IPO company and run a large part of a sales organization. Like, this is a perfect playground to figure out scale, process, build in some infrastructure because this team has just been growing very quickly and running fast. Um, and now we have an opportunity to sort of like future proof the organization. So it's just like a really cool time. And the the business is also like investing in growth around headcount and and adding layers of leadership. So it just seemed like a great time to to join.
0: I've been with organizations before that have had sales specialists, but I'm curious your take on you know why in this instance, right? You've got these this powerhouse team of LinkedIn sales solution sellers of which you were a, a member. And then you've got a powerhouse team of Microsoft Dynamics CRM sellers. Why did you know without getting into business secrets, right? But like, why did the entity decide that they wanted to form a specialist team? Why was that necessary?
2: I think the short answer is just the amount of complexity in terms of the differences in how Microsoft goes um, sells who they sell to because they're selling everything to companies, all sorts of different things, And, and LinkedIn is just selling. A product that is for sales, marketing, sales operations. So it's sort of like selling to different audiences. There's complexity around even just like contracting, like who owns the contract, pricing, different offers, different systems of record. There is enough complexity where I think we've pretty definitively answered the question that there is in the absence of like really broad enablement, and a lot of effort there, there is really strong uplift with having our team to be the experts in the room when we identify there's a great opportunity to work together.
1: It sounds like there's a skill set that goes beyond just selling here, right? You mentioned enablement. Sounds like there's an element of coaching. Uh, Could you maybe go a little bit more into what that looks like?
2: Yeah, that's huge. And that's a really good point. So this team is... All have are all senior sellers. So they've all sold um, at the enterprise level, carried their own bags, um, either on the customer side or new business. Some have come from LinkedIn, some have come from Microsoft. It's great to get sort of the tribal knowledge from and the culture from both because we're obviously we have stakeholders on both sides. This team, these people need to be able to run an amazing enterprise deal cycle, they need to think about coaching and teaching our different stakeholders around how we can work best together and what makes the most successful deals. So it's not just sales strategy. It's like execution strategy as well. And then ultimately, they're like the glue. They're the ones who have to figure out a sequence of events. Like They have to be super operationally sound and organized. So they do a lot. Uh, And it's a really cool experience because it gives people who want to be in a channel sales role not only like more complex, really interesting deal experience, but it also gives them leadership experience because they really need to figure out how to lead in the absence of authority. They're not managing these sellers that are on both sides trying to get a deal done, but they are advising them and trying to get them to sort of see how they can sort of work best together.
0: Are there, are there any kinds of rules of engagement around who, who, who runs the cycle, who runs the sales cycle?
2: So the Microsoft and LinkedIn team work together to drive the deal. There are situations where LinkedIn has an existing enterprise relationship or Microsoft has an existing. And so that will sometimes dictate, but the overlay needs to be very nimble and mindful of things like egos and control. And a lot of times, you know, like a good manager an overlay is going to function as a a therapist. Like, let's all hear each other out. Let's all get on a call. Like, bias for collaboration i would say
0: one thing i wanted to go back to is you mentioned that there's this concept of running an amazing enterprise deal cycle so whenever i hear that my ears perk up and and i'm curious what does that mean to you and what processes systems tools do you use in order to run that cycle
2: yeah my go to's around coaching and ensuring we have everything we need to be successful and, and this is sort of like probably two frameworks that I'll share. The first one is just these three big buckets um, that I'm always you know understanding like, where are we with these and do we have a compelling story around these? So the first is exact alignment. It means that we understand what is most important at the executive level from a strategic initiative to grow the business at the company that we're trying to sell to and we understand what those things are what those priorities are and when you do that that's when deals accelerate they have a growth strategy and it is xyz we understand what it is and then we understand moving into the second big bucket which is business case alignment so we have what's important to them then we move into like the proof like how do we demonstrate that we are actually going to be able to support whatever their strategic priority is and help them win and do things that they otherwise could not do. So like, what is our unique value? And this is often where we'll do proof of concepts, we'll do pilots, we'll get data, we'll have some ROI information. And we have a really tight story that we can tell to the executives about, okay, here's what's important to you. Here is what we did. Let's work together. Let's keep working together. The last piece, which is actually where my team ends up spending a lot of time just because of the complexity of... Uh, you know, having like two organizations that have different pricing and and contracts is commercial alignment. So budget, do they have budget? Um, Where are we finding budget? Who owns the budget? Like all those questions that help us really understand how real this deal is. The other framework, which has been like a game changer from my perspective, is the rapid framework um but it's all about how companies or anyone any group of people will make a decision it basically has you map out who you believe is influencing a decision who is the decision maker who needs to agree who needs to actually perform the work to get a decision done and that's something we are constantly reviewing to make sure that we are aware of who's making the decision because oftentimes it's like not always the person we actually think and that we're pro- appropriately influencing all of those people To actually get a decision done,
0: I was also thinking like you mentioned specialists and overlay. How would how do you think of your team as different from what other people would think of as sales engineers or solutions consultants?
2: So when I think of sales engineer solution consultant, I think of sort of like the technical person in the room who can ensure that whatever product we have is compatible and secure and integrates properly. And I think of our team as more less technical in the product and more sort of like functional. What is the best way for us to make things work commercially is one piece of it. What is our compelling event and how do we educate the field on how those compelling events can actually like drive deals? The most value we bring is proactively bringing the two sales teams together to say, hey, this is an awesome opportunity. You probably don't have all the visibility into why this is so great, but let me tell you why.
0: We we talked about having these sort of three alphas in the room. What sort of moderating incentives exist to get them together? And what I'm thinking there is, right, if I'm the if I'm the LinkedIn seller, I may just want to do my thing, right? Unless I have either an extrinsic or intrinsic incentive to do a cooperative deal on the Microsoft product side and vice versa, right? Is like, you're asking me to add complexity to my, to my renewal, add complexity to my deal. There's got to be something in it for me to be, to be willing to do that, maybe beyond just being a good corporate citizen.
2: There's one big piece of this job that we have not actually talked about, which is very different from just a traditional seller, which is this whole notion of activation. We call it activation. I, I do this as a leader. So I align with sale, senior leaders at Microsoft and LinkedIn um, to talk about the program, get feedback, talk about how great it is and our overlays are doing the same thing. So they're actually responsible for a cadence with their GM of the vertical that they're focused on, and also down to frontline managers to ensure that we are surfacing potential opportunities. We are like triaging things and getting enough support to get deals done. So they are ambassadors of this program, and they spend a lot of their time Talking about exactly that point like why is this better to do it a lot of it is like borrowing each other's compelling events so like hey you're trying to drive this deal we have this renewal we have a commercial event coming up on this side this can serve as our anchor in where we don't even have one right now um, because we can take LinkedIn's and Microsoft so that's one piece of it the other is just like the data around the value that our customers see so when we bundle this together customers are it's stickier so renewal is better average deal size is higher there there's just like data that bears out that this partnership makes a lot of sense which gets people to sort of like perk their ears up and that's something that we do on a regular cadence with like both fields so to your point like they have this sort of like okay this is good versus like a so what
0: one other thing i also wanted to come back to was you mentioned that you know you have some experienced enterprise sellers who made the switch over from carrying a bag over to being an overlay specialist. Um, that's a big decision. Like that's a, that's a monumental career type of decision. How, how do you go about having those? I mean, you had the conversation with yourself, right? How do, you, how do you have that conversation? How did that dialogue go on in your own mind?
2: For me, there was a feeling of risk. And to be fully transparent, the role that I interviewed for prior to this job, this channel job that I got, was a second line leadership role at LinkedIn. I did not get that job, which was actually very crushing to my ego for at least two to three weeks. But there were a ton of learnings in that, you know, I think you learn so much more from no than you learn from yes. It helped me think about like how I even view achievement and promotion for as much of like a growth mindset person I am. Like there's still those moments where you don't get something and you're just like, oh my God, I'm you know, I'm a failure, like everyone feels those moments. But for me, it was like, things are happening, like one door closes, another opens. And that was kind of what happened in this situation, where it was like, okay, I'm not getting the job that I want that I thought was going to be my next play. What are the things that I can do? And what are the skills that I can get in the meantime, because I'm going to get that job, I'm gonna get it next time. But like, what's going to happen now that's going to help broaden my base of skills? and make me even more attractive the next go around. So for what that was for me specifically in this role and channel was the, like the level of stakeholders that I'm working with today are all senior leaders. So from a like peer relationship building perspective, I'm at a different altitude in terms of the rooms that I'm in, the meetings I'm in, the conversations that I'm in. And I'm viewed as a strategic advisor in that way. That's huge as I'm thinking about like, okay, where do I want to go next? The other is channel. Like this experience and this sort of merging of two different sales organizations is experience that I just don't have. So, any company that wants to do channel in the future, I now have that experience. Um, And the other thing is like the scale of this part of the business is small. So, when I think about my build story and the impact that I can have, it's great in this role. So, Those were kind of like the main things. And it's just like, it feels a little scary. Like that's probably a good thing to do. That's probably the right move. Yeah, those were the things for me.
0: What do you think it was that held you back from that opportunity or had others hold you back from that opportunity?
2: For me, I think there were like a couple key ingredients. The first was, I think I just failed to prepare to the level that I could for the actual interview itself. Um, It was sort of like the end of our fiscal year. I was like, I'm just going to focus on making it rain, going to club, demonstrating results. And um, I kind of ran out of steam in terms of preparation. And actually, after the event, I I went over, there were some other people who got in these jobs, and I reviewed their decks, and they were just like, nonstop. I was like, of course, like, yeah, that was way better than my actual interview preparation. So I sort of like just failed to realize the importance because I thought like, oh, my body of work speaks for itself. Like, I have a great reputation. I'm a strong leader. You know, people have great things to say about me. Like, and, and I just missed it. The second thing and the feedback that I had gotten, this one was really interesting because the feedback I had gotten was like, okay, like you are clearly competent. Like your plan was comprehensive. It made sense. But like, it was kind of status quo. But what are we going to do differently? What are we going to break? What are your big ideas? Like, what, what creativity are you bringing? So, it was sort of like some branding and packaging and some ideas that were missing, which would have come with obviously preparation. That would have all kind of worked itself out. But the learning there for me was in my life, I've been so achievement oriented. So, meaning I have wanted to get the next job because that to me was, that was actually sort of like the love language of my family. That was kind of like what was talked about. So I was equating achievement with love. So like when I didn't get that job, I was wrecked. And a lot of that was because I felt like these people who didn't give me this job actually didn't like love me. It felt like rejection in that way, which was a huge learning because I was like, no, these people love me. Like I didn't show up in the way that I wanted to and I have some stuff to learn and that's fine. That was like a big aha for me was like, these people want to help use your resources that you have.
0: I was thinking, well, as you were saying, I was thinking of my, you know, my own upbringing and it was some similarity, but some difference, which is that my, my mom is hyper competitive. Like you sit down to play Scrabble with her and she just wants to obliterate you. You know, my mom obliterating me when I was six years old or eight years old or whatever. And all I could spell was dog, but yet, you know, she taught elementary school for 40 years and, um, she's never had any expectations. Like it's not family currency for us, at least from her point of view, you know, like my brother and I have our own competition going. But yeah, it's so funny how we are affected by so deeply affected. Not funny. I mean, it's that's why therapy exists.
2: I mean, it all goes back, it all goes back to what was going down when you were a kid and how you related, how you sort of like showed up in the world, I believe. But oh, one other point I was going to make. So, if you're super achievement oriented and you're like, let me just do all the things, all the right things so that I can get the next job and I can get the next thing, it's impossible to be creative and it's impossible to really feel comfortable being yourself and authentically taking risks. Because if you take a risk and you fail, it might set you back. You may not get the next thing. So that's like a lot of what I've been exploring as a learning from that experience is like just kind of doing stuff. And I've been doing like mantra work around like being, you know, like I'm good. I'm, I'm like my best self and whatever I do, you know, is the best I can do. And if it doesn't work, like that's okay.
0: Yeah, I had my own... uh my own crisis like 10 years ago and, and went through some therapy. And the most useful thing the therapist said was just like, take a second and, and, and breathe and appreciate the things that you've done and the things that you do on a daily basis. Right. Cause I was very achievement oriented as well. Mm -hmm. And I just like, you know, if I didn't feel as though I was ever, ever getting to the end of that, I, I never took the time to reflect on, on the things I had. Right. Like, I think you, you find joy in, in so many things, but you find joy in what you have. And then I I also take time these days as a result of that therapy a decade ago to take the time to appreciate those things that are not right. Like there are horrible things that could have happened that did not to appreciate that as well, I think is is foundational to a degree of contentment.
1: You have us all reflecting on instances, especially with achievement. I mean, mine personally was early in my career I applied for something internally was pitted against my best friends for it I was the most tenured person on the team I thought I had it in the bag and you know in hindsight I probably would have left the company and not gone down the path I went down had that been the you know the role that I was given and I think the feedback I got there was you'd be really great at project management and you know why do you want this account management job and and it actually really really hurt at the time but I could say I'm a million times better for it. And it led me to the right path for me ultimately.
2: This was another big like uh aha for me too in this moment was like, if you are very highly achievement oriented, you feel like if you don't get, don't get a job or something like that, it stings so hard. And you look at people that you respect and admire and your, your thought is like, they've never failed this has never happened to them. And literally like everyone doesn't get a job. Like I remember talking to one of the hiring managers. She's like, I've had this moment. And she like told me the story and I'm like, okay. I was like, I thought you'd never have this moment. You're such a rock. You're like such an amazing leader. And it just it, like, in a way it's comforting. It's like, this is just the way it is. Like no one gets the, gets to where they want to be without having some, some setbacks.
1: And I think it hurts just a little bit more when it's a company that you work at already, it's internal, you, that love language, right? You, you feel that from your coworkers too. So I, I think it makes it hurt a little bit more, even if it wasn't the right thing for you at that time. Maybe it will be in the future, maybe it will be never, but it, it still is a blow, even if it ultimately gets you where you want to go.
0: Yeah, it's it's they, they don't love me as much as I thought they did. Right. And it's 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 not exactly that it's more complicated. It's absolutely more complicated. Well, I think we have to rebrand from hey salespeople to like sales therapy. I've actually had more fun <laughs> doing this.
2: I'm so happy it went this way because this is very like authentic for me. So <laughs>
0: Brilliant, brilliant. Yeah, well, it's it's like, uh, you know, if you have a, if you're catching up with a friend or even someone learning, meeting someone new, it takes, you can't just go there, right? You can't just go there right away. It takes a little bit of time to to warm up. Uh, it was such a pleasure having you on and and talking all manner of things as, as we hinted in the upfront that we went all over the place and I think in the best possible way. So Katie, thanks for being on. And I, I know uh, you, you've got to be hiring constantly. And since you work at LinkedIn, I would presume the best way for people to try to especially diverse hires, right? Since that's who you're trying to attract first and foremost, if they want to come work on your team, that's the best way to get you.
2: Yeah, or anyone who wants to have conversations around that or figure it out, like we're all figuring it out, I think in tech together and it's good to collaborate there. So yeah, really appreciate the time, Jeremy and Jenna.
0: Outstanding, thank you.
2: Yeah, this
1: has been great, thank you.
0: Hey, Salespeople is a production made in partnership with Frequency Media. I'm your host, Jeremy Donovan. This podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever podcasts are found. Thanks for listening to the Hey Salespeople podcast.